The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Uh, join me in prayer. Father, in these uh, uncertain times, cause us to be certain about you. As we've just sung uh, in faith, all will be well because of you. Cause us to look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, to know that he is absolutely sovereign over every circumstance, that the one who spoke everything into existence is the king, that every throne and dominion, every ruler and authority is under his creation, that in him all things are held together. Father, when we are tempted to fear, help us to see who Jesus truly is. Help us to remember that nothing can separate us from him, that he promises not to lose any of us. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, unable to imagine what it is to live under such a threat. We ask for their protection, for their peace in the midst of this terrible storm. We ask for the protection of those giving aid to them. May Jesus be glorified as people serve with his compassion and care. Lord, guard us from real but lesser fears, to not be overcome with worry about the future, but to know that Jesus is aware of each of us and our needs, and that he promises to sovereignly care for us with his perfect knowledge and wisdom. Help us to see the glory of Jesus in your word. Speak to our hearts. Give us peace. Remind us of the big picture and that Jesus is sovereign and our eternity is secure in him. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I love that Pastor Jim loves to teach Sunday school. And I love when he points out how your children are seeing the very things that what the very things that we need to see. Following last Sunday's class, Pastor Jim sent out an email to parents of his students, as well as posting it on Facebook. And the title of his post was "Providential Lesson." Here's what he wrote: "Dear parents of fourth through sixth grade theology students, I love that." This past week, I mentioned to my wife, Pat, before knowing what our rich Sunday school lesson for our fourth through sixth graders would be emphasizing, that I'm sure God would make it well-timed. Then the study guide opened up to yesterday's lesson titled, God is the King of the Nations. And sure enough, it was. The lesson started with Pilate's questions to Jesus in John 19:10 when he asked, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. The conclusion from Jesus is that earthly kings are subject to the the king of the nations. They cannot do anything that God does not allow them to do. They are not in control. God is. All human authority is subject to the will of God and will serve the sovereign purposes of God, who 
who is the king of 195 nations around the globe. Then one of the fifth grade girls read Psalm 136.26 that says, Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. And she concluded and connected this verse to the many Ukrainian and Russian Christians who are praying for the sovereign God to protect them from harm and to win their enemies to Jesus. A pretty perceptive young gal. The class rounded out listening to how can this protection and love happen from Psalm 54.4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. It is amazing that the king of the nations, the king of heaven, is also a helper to his people. Wow, a hopeful lesson for 10-year-olds to 89-year-olds. May it serve them and us in the days and years ahead. By the way, God has given you very special students, Pastor Jim. Wonderful. How we need to remember this truth, that as powerful as the nations may seem, they cannot do anything that God does not allow them to do. They are not in control, God is. And we see this truth in our text. If you're... Um, Not already there, we're on to John 18, John 18, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Jesus is sovereign to save. He is no victim. You'll notice that, that Jesus did not go into hiding, but went to the very place that he knew Judas would know And notice also that Jesus knows all that would happen to him. The power does not belong to the soldiers, we'll see. It does not belong to the Jewish leaders. They cannot do anything that Jesus does not allow them to do. He is the sovereign king here. He is in complete control of the circumstances leading to his arrest and his crucifixion. Our focus this morning is that Jesus is sovereign in the display of his power. He is sovereign to protect, not losing any of his own. And Jesus is sovereign in his determination to do the Father's will. John wants us to notice these truths about Jesus as he is arrested in the garden. He's not a victim that's overcome by some large military presence. He He actually commands the release of his disciples, we'll see. And these lanterns and torches and weapons that are brought are not necessary because Jesus has no intention of joining a fight or hiding in the dark. Instead, he is determined to drink the cup of wrath in order to save his own. So let's uh, go to God's Word now. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Follow along as I read uh, verses 1 through 11 of John 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who Betrayed him also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers, 
from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This is God's word. You may be seated. I want to rightly see, I want us to rightly see what John wants us to see, that Jesus is a mighty hero as he enters this garden. And even this detail of a garden uh, ought to catch our attention. It's intended to remind us of another leader, Adam, in a garden. The failure of the first representative in a garden led to our being lost and separated from God. And the success of Jesus in this garden reconciles us to God, leads to reconciliation, and guarantees that we will never be lost. As Adam's disobedience becomes our guilt, so Christ's obedience is counted as our righteousness. And I mention this truth because John wants us to see the common setting of a garden. The Savior enters the garden, intent on redeeming his people from sin, while it was in another garden that mankind fell into sin. Adam lived in a garden that was full of delight. Jesus enters a garden that's full of fear. In a garden, Adam and Eve spoke to Satan, while Jesus, in a garden, prayed earnestly to the Father. In a garden, Jesus prayed in anguish and was strengthened and resolute to do the Father's will, while the prayerless Adam was weak and tempted and did what was pleasing in his own eyes. In a garden, Jesus sought intimacy with the Father. In a garden, Adam hid from the presence of God. Ultimately, Adam fell in defeat, while Jesus is the reality of Psalm 54.4. Behold, God is my helper, the Lord is the upholder of my life. John's gospel begins with the reality of Jesus existing before creation. That he is the word who was with God. That he, the word, was God, is God. And that all things that were made through him. That Jesus, he is the very source of life. And that he, the word, the son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Living a real human life. 
And so, once again, let me say, Jesus is no victim. The ones who arrest him continue to exist by his sovereign will. He is the Word. He is God. And John emphasizes this reality all throughout his gospel with the various I am statements. I am. The very name of God, which again points us back to an Old Testament connection where God reveals his name to Moses. I am. And Jesus identifies himself as Yahweh. The one true God, the self-existent one, saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. And he also said before Abraham was born, I am. And now, as this mob comes looking for Jesus in the garden, he once again identifies himself as God, saying, I am he. Or more literally, because the word he is not in the Greek, he says, I am. And the result of this glorious declaration is that every knee or backside hits the ground. Jesus is sovereign in the display of his power. Jesus reveals his deity. And some even speculate that a bit of his blinding, bright glory snuck out and startled these battle-scarred veterans, causing them to stumble back and fall to the ground. Awesome. What an awesome detail for us to know. Their attempt at a great show of force was met by a superior display of sovereign power, power spoken by the word. In verse 3 we read that it's a band of soldiers. Some translations say uh, cohort. More literally it is cohort which would be a Roman cohort would be as much as 600 men, but most agree that in this case it was more like 200, but still, 200 soldiers. 200 soldiers to arrest one man and 11 disciples. An overwhelming show of force, and likely because Pilate didn't want any possibility of a revolt, remember Uh, It's Passover, there's a massive crowd there. They were just greeting him and shouting Hosanna as Jesus entered into the city. So Pilate wants to make sure that there's not going to be any revolt. Along with this cohort is Judas, with officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. So, Jew and Gentile together come to arrest the Savior of the world. Lanterns and torches and weapons reveal their expectation. And yet Jesus Jesus picked the very spot that he knew Judas would be familiar with. The searchlights are not needed and their weapons are useless. The one who spoke everything into existence, who upholds everything by the word of his power, he's the one. 
He is the one that God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the one they've come to supposedly overpower and arrest. And John gives us a glimpse of his glory as hundreds fall at the expression of his name, I am. He is the almighty God who orchestrates his own capture in order to save those whom he loves. I love Alexander McLaren's thoughts on this event. He wrote, I am inclined to think that here there was for a moment a little rending of the veil of his flesh and an emission of some flash of the brightness that always tabernacled within him and that was enough to prostrate with a strange awe even those rude and insensitive men when he said, I am he. There was something that made them feel This is one before whom violence cowers abashed and in whose presence impurity has to hide its face. The glory of Jesus veiled in humility and we see this all throughout the Gospels. At his birth, the humility of the Almighty existing in the form of a helpless baby and then the glory of angels lighting up the sky and heaven singing. At his baptism, identifying himself with sinful man, and then God audibly declares the sinless righteousness of Jesus, saying, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. As Jesus is physically exhausted and asleep in a boat, he rises and commands the winds and the waves, peace, be still. And now in the garden where he He prayed in great anguish. He rises and speaks to hundreds, I am. And they're overwhelmed by his divine presence. And so we should see that Jesus is never a helpless victim. He never intended to run and escape. If he wanted to elude his captors, we've seen it many times before when it wasn't his time. But now... He has declared that the hour has come and he allows, he allows them to take him where he willingly chooses to go. He has always chosen, he has always chosen great humility in becoming a man and now as he chooses to be mocked and abused and stripped as he gives himself to the worst of all public humiliations, where people will assume that he is the worst of the worst criminals deserving of execution, this brutality of crucifixion. But we know it never ends with humiliation. Because when he returns in glory and power, his enemies will cry out for the rocks to fall on them and hide them from his presence. This is our sovereign king. Those who threaten and kill brothers and sisters in Ukraine 
and around the world, the persecution that has gone on for the existence of the church, in reality, in the end, they are as powerless as these. They think they are mighty, they think they have the final say, and yet Jesus is sovereign over the nations, and every knee will bow at the mention of his name. Not helpless to save himself, Likewise, he is not helpless to save those who belong to him. There is purpose in his death, and there is purpose in the death of his saints. Faith looks to him, faith trusts in him, and as we see in the great chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, there are, there's a variety there are those rescued from lions and fire and sword. There are those who receive back their dead by resurrection. And there are others who are tortured and imprisoned, stoned, and sawn in two. But what they all have in common, what, what we all have in common, is that he is sovereign to give us what he promises. We are not promised our best life now. We are promised something much better. The weight of glory. As we behold our glorious Savior Savior, and enjoy him for all eternity. What looked like defeat was in reality victory. So for us, earthly rescues may or may not come. Healings may or may not come. But the ultimate triumph is what truly matters. In our text, we see that Jesus is sovereign in the display of his power. And he is also sovereign in his protective care. The great chapter of faith and our own lives tell us that not all experiences are the same. Sometimes he heals, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes there's deliverance and other times not. And Jesus' protective care is always exactly what he sovereignly chooses. He's always working for your good, as we've already noticed and paid attention to, prayed. He's always working for your good. Even if all you see is great suffering, his sovereign care ordains it for a, a great weight of glory. We may not understand in the here and now. It may not seem like protective care. But the cross is the, is the best example of all. That what seemed like defeat is actually God's victory. The greatest victory of all. We may not like it in the moment, our own sufferings. But one day we'll see. We'll thank him. We'll praise him. For doing all things perfect and right. Notice his sovereign care for his disciples in verse 8. After this great crowd fell to the ground, Jesus asked again, Whom do you seek? And he did this to make the point, If you seek me, then let these men go. Most believe that the soldiers intended to round up Jesus' followers along with him. And, and Mark's gospel gives us this impression as it describes the attempted arrest of a young man dressed in a linen cloth. 
We don't know the timing of it, but when Jesus knocked them to the ground with his own words, this may have been a good opportunity for that man to flee. And, not, and now that now they must have been a bit, you know, think of it. Had they ever experienced anything like this before? No. So they get up, they must have been a bit dazed and confused as Jesus basically commands them at this point, let these men go. Maybe the, who is he? <laughs> We've come to arrest him. We're this great show of force. He knocks them to the ground and then commands them, let these men go. Notice John's conclusion in verse 9. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. And we might read verse 9 and think, John, come on. When, when Jesus said the, these words, he wasn't talking about this earthly rescue. He was talking about their souls. In chapters 6 and 10, he was talking about something different than this. Raising them at the last day. It wasn't about their being lost to the soldiers in the garden. So we might argue with John a bit, but that would be foolish because he's the apostle. He's inspired to write the word of God. So John points this out. He's still right in a sense because what he's getting at is that this particular selfless act illustrates. It illustrates the ultimate meaning of Jesus' protective care. It's an example of Jesus being the good shepherd who gives himself to protect his sheep. He's living this truth out. He's he's showing his heart for them, which speaks of his ultimate care and protection. Also, Jesus, he perfectly knows. He knows how this earthly protection will impact their ongoing faith. He knows their state, their current state of vulnerability and weakness. Jesus knows when they can and when they can't endure. And that currently, Peter is all talk and no action. Well, wrong action in this case. But what's to come? We know of Peter. We see that one day this great transformation in Peter that his faith will endure under persecution. Jesus knows. He is sovereign to care for his own. And Calvin, he describes it this way. He says, the evangelist, John, does not speak merely of their bodily life, but rather means that Christ, sparing them for a time, made provision for their eternal salvation. God's Word teaches us this truth of Jesus guarding us, protecting us with eternity in mind. He is able to save to the uttermost. He always lives to make intercession for us. He guards us until that day. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He is able to keep you from stumbling and present you as blameless. Scripture teaches us that Jesus is praying for us and helping us and preserving and guarding us by his grace. So if you belong to Jesus, 
He is your good shepherd. He cares for you. He sovereignly protects you. He promises never to lose you. So Jesus is sovereign in the display of his power. He is sovereign in his protective care for you. And Jesus is sovereign in submitting to do the Father's will. We see this in verses 10 through 11, where Peter attempts to to rescue Jesus by pulling out a sword, cutting off the ear of this um, servant to the high priest. And clearly, clearly this is not what Jesus wanted. He tells Peter to put the sword away, And in Luke's gospel, we even see the mercy of Jesus toward his enemies as he sovereignly heals Malchus. Peter Peter comes to the rescue, but Jesus says no. No. And the reason is stated in verse 11. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This is what Jesus' aim is. This is what he is after. The cup Jesus has in mind is the cup of God's judgment and wrath. Prior to this, and the other Gospels describe Jesus agonized in the garden in prayer, praying that if there was any other way, asking if the Father would remove this this cup. And then he went determined to drink the cup, to go to the cross. And it wasn't the physical pain that Jesus was agonizing over in prayer. No, it was the cup of God's wrath. Some have even speculated that, that enduring the wrath of God, that this was so great that Jesus probably didn't even notice the nails. The cup, taking the punishment we deserve, in order to save us, in order to vindicate the justice of God, that God never be accused of ignoring justice, of of simply sweeping sin under the carpet and forgiving the guilty. He paid the price. He bore the wrath that we deserve. And we are forgiven because Jesus drank the cup. He drank the cup for his own. Peter's sword, it was, it was of no value for this. Jesus fully intended to be arrested. And the only way to sovereignly save was by doing the Father's will, by drinking the cup. What a hero. What a hero. He deserves the cup of blessing. And yet he drank the cup of wrath. That we, the wrath that we deserve. And because of this heroic act for us, now we, what? Now we dine at his table, eating and also drinking from a cup of blessing. The blessing of forgiveness. So how should we respond to these truths? One, take comfort in his power. Take comfort in his power. With a word, he can calm the storms around us. With a word, he can heal. With a word, 
He can overpower our enemies. And if we don't experience this, it's not that he can't, it's that he sovereignly intends something better. Something better. We should pray, we should ask for his help, and if there is suffering, this does not change the truth of his ultimate promise to us, he is mighty to save. Second, trust him to protect you. Just as the cross didn't make a whole lot of sense until afterwards, you may not understand why things are the way they are. But God is worthy of your trust. He has proven himself to be the good shepherd who watches over his loved ones. His sovereignty means that he's in control of every circumstance. He never fails to care for his own. Remember that, again, the ultimate goal is not your best life now, but your best life for eternity. And when we realize that, it makes the life now really great. (laughs) Gives us much hope and joy. We can trust him to lead the way that is ultimately best for us. We should not be a people of fear. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus protects us. Lastly, praise God that Jesus sovereignly obeyed. So if we're to follow someone's example, it ought to be Jesus' example of prayer and not Peter's confidence in his own might. The strength that we need in whatever our fight may be requires a strength of faith. What we see over and over and over again in the scriptures is the reminder that it's not horses, it's not chariots, it's not human might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Real strength is a strength of faith. Like Jesus, agonizing in the garden. It's not, it's not our own might. Faith comes by preferring a better sword, which is God's word, and through much prayer as we seek to honor and submit to God's will. Let's remember these truths. I hope you're encouraged by them, uh, that we are well cared for. Jesus is sovereign. He protects us. He has accomplished everything for us. Let's pray. Father, uh, these are different times for us, but not different in the scope of history. Our fears and concerns are not unique. They are certainly not beyond you. Give us confidence in you. Help us to remember that, that Jesus is king and that we live for him. Guard us from acting in ways that, that deny this truth. Lord, prompt us to pray, to pray for your intervention, to pray for your protection and help, to pray for your strength, to pray for a, a greater hunger for your word, to pray for wisdom so that we might rightly trust and obey you. 
Lord, make us people who come to you and trust in you. Thank you that Jesus is sovereign to save. Thank you for his protective care and that in him we are forever blessed. We gladly bow. We gladly bow and praise the name of Jesus in whose name we now pray. Amen.